You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. Alan this week. Uh, he is currently at an RPTQ, so we wish him luck, and maybe we'll get some updates during the podcast. Probably not, though. It's quite... I don't think the tournament has started yet. No, I think it starts in about 25 minutes, so likely the first update will be after we're finished recording, but good luck to him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good luck to Al. Hope he takes it down, crushes the last ever RPTQ. Yeah, he was saying he's very confident going into it, so... Nice. Uh, how's things with you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm uh, jet-setting off to Los Angeles later today for my first time going to America. Going over there for work, so I'm excited about that. Very nice. Um, what, what, where are you, did you say where exactly you're going? Uh, Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you going to do any touristy stuff when you're there? I'm going to try, like I'm, I'm working all during the week, so I'm not sure how much time we're going to have, but I, I have next weekend at least over there before I fly back, so I want to I want to try and do some stuff then. I was, I was trying to think of stuff I want to do in LA. The only thing I could think is, um, you know, the Bradbury Building from Blade Runner is there. Oh yeah, yeah, like the with the kind of big sort of like uh, interior sort of courtyard and like the fire escapes and stuff that they're they're like racing up at the end of the film. Yeah, so I'd like to see that. That's like pretty cool. That sounds cool. Um, Hollywood Boulevard is like very touristy, obviously, but it's actually not not terrible it's kind of fun to walk around and see all the little stars and look up at the hollywood sign and stuff like that oh yeah i'll check that out that could be cool i was thinking about magic stuff but i don't i presume there's a big shop there but everything's just so spread out is the thing because the city's so enormous that it's kind of hard to get a grasp on like uh what would be like accessible to go see during weekday evenings you know yeah yeah it's kind of crazy like i yeah depends where you're staying really what you can what you can do because like when i went there i would think i, I went there when i was like 21 and uh me and my friends went to blizzcon and that is in um i can't remember the name of the town but uh, anaheim anaheim and we were like oh we'll just get a taxi over to la and we'll do some la things for the day taxi was like 150 dollars yeah i think it's a little bit cheaper now because of uber and stuff like that but it's still gonna be like expense obviously if you're driving around everywhere yeah definitely all right let's jump into some magic stuff um so we're gonna go over a bit of news today uh, there has been a bit of news since since our last podcast, and then we'll talk a bit about Standard, and we'll do our Enter the Arena segment. So, kicking off the news, we have the Mythic Invitational was announced. So, this is different from the Mythic Championship, which is the new name of the Pro Tour. So, the Mythic Invitational is an invite-only tournament, as they would suggest, and it's going to be 64 players, 32 players from the Magic Pro League, plus 26 streamers, and they're, like, invited. And then they're also inviting the top eight of the Arena Mythic constructed leaderboard for February. Yeah, it's a pretty cool tournament. Um, it's like it's it's great to see kind of like that they are taking this like esports stuff seriously. Like a big part of that, if you want to get people excited, is you have to have like an, like a ludicrously gigantic tournament prize pool wise. Uh, so they've they've kind of got that down. Yeah. Uh, I think um, th- this kind of stuff is definitely going to bring bring the eyes of of like streamers and other like esports people because like it it does tend to be like there, there's a lot of card games out there, uh, digital card games. Uh, so you know the a lot of the skills are transferable from other card games to Magic. Um, so that this will probably bring a lot of streamers and pros from other card games and even just other esports in general. Uh, looking at magic in like a more seriously and that'll also bring their audiences yeah absolutely i think i think the fact that it's a double elimination tournament if i remember correctly that's kind of uh that's a lot easier for people to follow when they're, they're tuning into a twitch stream like for an hour or two than uh than you know swiss rounds and stuff like that it's kind of i think it's easier to build like the story of the tournament you know since, since it's like all elimination rounds uh, yeah. it's kind of more exciting early on yeah it is double elim um and just to kind of get some of the other details out of the way, it's I think it's $1 million total prize money, and it's like 250 k for first place, and paying out all the way down to, like, everybody gets money. I think $7,500 is the minimum prize if you just, like, lose-lose, and then you're out. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. Pretty nice for a no-two. Say it again, sorry? Uh, it's pretty nice for, for going zero two. I've done that in enough Street Fighter tournaments, and I did not get nearly amount, that amount of money, so yeah, I'd be happy with that. Exactly. Um 
and then also if you are one of the top eight from the arena ladder i'm assuming the other contestants get this as well but there was no need for them to announce it but the the top eight top eight of the arena mythic ladder will get airfare accommodation for themselves to uh, i think it's to boston for pax east and then uh, they get full passes to pax east for themselves and a friend um in order to attend so you, you get your you know you get your flights and stuff paid plus you get your seven thousand five hundred dollars so it's it's definitely worth it to uh to show up if you if you get the invite yeah pretty good ev yeah um moving on to kind of the format you said it's double a limb it's also this kind of new format that they're testing out um maybe we'll see this more in the future maybe not i guess it depends how how people kind of react to it uh the react the reaction has not been good so far um, but maybe when we see it in, in play, it'll be better. So the format is called Duo Standard. And the idea is that you take two 60-card decks, so no sideboards at all, um, and then you play your games with those. You play best of three with them. So in the first game, each player gets a random deck, which is going to be randomized somehow. Um, in the second game, each player plays their other deck, the one that they didn't play in game one. And then if it goes to a third game, each player gets to choose which deck they want to play. So uh, this is kind of a weird format. Um, they they stated, stated in the article that they were like, oh, we don't want uh, sideboarding to be such a barrier for people. Um, it costs more wild cards to, to sideboard and blah, blah, blah. And people are very intimidated by it. But now you just have to have a whole other deck. Um, but that said, people are getting a little bit confused between this and what Wizards are calling Arena Standard. So for them, Arena Standard just means single game best of one standard like how the ladder was uh on arena last month and uh, now it's best of three uh and then this is something totally separate that's that's a one-off experiment so far what do you think about this format i mean it's like so it's definitely kind of comes from hearthstone right it's a lot closer to that than kind of any magic format we've seen before as i guess you just get to see kind of more matchups and more different types of magic take place kind of uh, on the stream over the weekend like you basically get to, you get to, you get to see a, a ton more matchups uh, this way so i think they think it'll kind of expose different you know uh, strategies and stuff like that a bit more and kind of be more exciting to watch it's yeah the the i don't know i think we'll have to wait and see i like i i wouldn't like to see a lot of magic tournaments go this way like i don't think i would like very much to play in a tournament like this but um it's like it seems it seems a uh, kind of higher variance i think than a, than a normal than a normal thing in magic cuz in a normal best of 3 right let's say you're playing blind you don't know what your opponent's playing against like you can get a bad matchup but then you can like fix it by sideboarding whereas in this it's like you can just have it's possible to have like two decks that just get bad matchups against your opponent's other two decks and you just lose twice in a row and and you've just kind of like it seems like you're much more at the mercy of that happening than than playing one deck with a sideboard where the games get should get a lot closer to like 50 50 after sideboarding and you should you should like be able to leverage more of a skill edge yeah definitely i think that because maybe because the like you have these streamers in the tournament and then you have these 32 magic pro league players uh, maybe they didn't want the streamers to just get absolutely annihilated by the uh, by the mpl players like i'm not saying that these streamers are like bad players they're definitely not i'm sure they're most of them are at least fine that they have an audience for for a reason but sometimes that reason isn't just because they're really good at the game um and the magic pro league is full of you know platinum pros they're people who are you know have years and years of experience with the the process of sideboarding so maybe wizards came up with this to give those you know everyone in the tournament a kind of a fairer uh or like a level playing field it's just kind of a new thing that you know the the old pros haven't turned their mind to this kind of a format before so you know it's kind of a a new frontier something unexplored um and i think that you know that that's admirable giving something unique and novel um and a a, a kind of a new playing field to go along with you know the new arena uh, standard that that we've seen over the last couple of couple of weeks and months um but i think a lot of people yeah are are frustrated with the idea that you could just you know your your deck could not work or uh you could yeah play a randomly play a bad matchup and then you have to choose your other deck which happens to be a bad matchup against their other deck that's kind of very frustrating i think yeah it's just a once-off right so i'm kind of fine with it for that reason like it's kind of an invitational it's it's 
to it's for exposure for the game and stuff like that so it probably will create kind of uh more exciting moments on the stream for this one tournament so i'm fine with it but i don't think that's a good reason to, to kind of keep doing this format in future if that's the case like there there are kind of other considerations that are more about like the integrity of the tournament that that i think are more important yeah definitely um one thing that i thought might be confusing or i'm not sure how this is going to work i think it's going to be interesting to watch the mythic invitational myself because literally just the mechanics of how do you choose your deck in game three um because like first game okay it's random and then second game you just choose the other one so whatever but in game three you get to choose so it's like if if both people are in full view of each other with two deck boxes sitting in front of them or like you know two piles of cards in different colored sleeves or whatever it is then you know the the player who blinks first is at a disadvantage the player who chooses their deck first well the other player can just choose the the deck that they brought that's probably good against that one um well you could just do there's an easy solution though you could just do blind pick like so you can just have the the both players just walk away and like tell a tournament official which deck they're playing for game three and then they both have to stick to that deck no matter what the other person has picked okay yeah you know what i mean but that, yeah. that does kind of add in a like a weird extra step i mean not really but also is this is this tournament happening in paper or is it a, on arena i believe it's in paper oh okay that's weird. Maybe maybe it's not then. I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I don't think there's anything in the article that says whether it's on paper or not. Yeah, I'm looking through it now and I can't quite tell, which is strange. But I figured like because they're putting the amount of this amount of money in it, into it and stuff, it would definitely be to show off Arena. Maybe that's not the case since Arena's still in beta. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess maybe not. Interesting. Um, yeah, because there, there's no tournament mode in Arena yet. There, there is. You can challenge someone. But that's kind of it's kind of awkward to challenge people. But eh, I don't know. Um, another thing that I suppose that that Wizards will be happy about uh, when it comes to this format is because everyone's bringing two decks instead of there being sixty-four decks for people to look at and kind of take the data from, they'll be looking at one hundred and twenty-eight decks. So you know, there's there's going to be more deck building being done overall. So people who are watching this who are maybe new to magic or new into arena they're like oh i'm gonna spend my wild cards on this deck and this deck looks really cool blah 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 so i think that might be another reason that wizards are interested in this yeah definitely i think it's good for uh, that respect people are gonna get excited about new stuff yeah um so then there was another article posted at the same time uh as the mythic invitational announcement and this article is called the and of magic arena and it features um two of the kind of top top dudes in magic uh so Aaron Forsythe who is the he's the senior director or something like that he's yeah I think he's the senior design director for magic so he he's traditionally been like the guy who's who's been in charge of magic he's he's Maro's boss people know Maro um and then we have Chris Clay who is the kind of the leader the the game director of uh, arena so these are kind of the two top guys in charge of magic at the moment. And it was kind of, it was, it was a weird article. It was, it was posted in the format of like a discussion between them. Uh, so, or, or almost an interview between them. So they're just kind of saying their own thoughts about different uh, topics uh, about arena. And it's called the and of magic arena, because the main point is that they want to say that magic arena is, and it's, it's extra on top of paper magic. It's not, replacing anything to do with paper magic it's not instead of it's all plus um so th they're just kind of i think there was a lot of negativity surrounding like you know the, the way that magic is going and you know wizards are pushing this as an esport and they're forgetting about paper magic of course we also had the uh, the announcements that there's no more coverage of gps uh well cfp picked up the text coverage but as for video coverage we don't know what's happening there um, and basically, yeah, people were just getting kind of upset that uh, that paper magic was kind of getting left behind. And this article was an attempt to say that arena is just extra and not uh, instead of. Yeah, I don't really buy it to be honest. <laughs> reading the article, <laughs> uh, like maybe that sounds very negative, but a lot of the stuff, like um, yeah, like there's one part where they're talking about uh, you know how they've changed the the design of cards to kind of suit best of one better and stuff for arena like so you have more kind of flexible answers like knight of autumn and bedevil and stuff like that getting printed um and then they say oh but we're still printing traditional sideboard cards as well so they'll still 
be there. And it's like, yeah, but obviously those are going to become less important if you just have more flexible answers in your main deck in the first place. Like, it doesn't matter if you keep printing narrow sideboard cards. People aren't going to need them as much because of this this change in design philosophy. Yeah, like, we see, like, cards like Amulet of Safekeeping in Standard that just don't do anything. Nobody uses them because you don't need them uh, when you have a card like, I don't know, Goblin Chain Whirler to kill all tokens or whatever. But, like, that's kind of a silly example. But, yeah, traditional sideboard cards aren't definitely aren't needed as much if you have flexible answers in your main deck um they're still nice but they're not as necessary and also if people are short on wild cards they're just going to craft the the flexible answers and they're just going to play in best of one not play best of three um having said that though they want to what they say in this article as well is that they want to experiment and see what works so they're open to like changing things in arena uh they're not nothing set in stone and one interesting tidbit that they do say, mention kind of at the end of the article, is they can have a separate ban list for the two versions of standard. So like best of one and best of three. Yeah. So like they could ban Nexus of Fate on Arena, but not in paper if they wanted to. Something like that if people get increasingly annoyed with it. But do you think that they would ban Nexus of Fate just in best of one and not best of three on Arena? Um. Yeah. Like if they were going to ban it, not based on power level and just and just people like not having a fun gameplay experience. Banning it in best of one would probably do the job because like in best of three, obviously you do have access to to all your your sideboard like anti combo options, your dresses and stuff like that to help you help you beat that type of deck. But I, I would prefer them not to ban anything. I suppose like I, I like they're saying they have the option if they want to to have two ban lists, but um I don't know. I I would like them to take a very very you know cautious tack with that. Yeah, coming off like a year or whatever when Standard had a year and a half to two years when Standard was really, really bad and like all the way back to a collected company, they should have had bans in Standard and then they did have a bunch of bans in Standard and some cards are still banned in Standard. I think they do need to be super careful with what they ban and how they ban it. Um, people are crying out daily on the Magic Arena subreddit and the, the, the regular Magic subreddit for Nexus to be banned because we've had some high-profile cases of pros streaming and be getting Nexus looped. So if people aren't aware what that is, it's basically like you're tapped out, you're tapped out, and your opponent is playing Nexus, and they know that they can't win or whatever. They just want to grief you, so they just cast Nexus over and over and over again um, when they have no actual win condition in their deck or something like that. Um, and this happened to well it's happened to lots of people people complain about it literally all the time that they get nexus looped for like two hours or whatever but it happened to shahar shanhar former two-time magic world champion and it happened to uh, ali Trazi as well and in both cases chris clay who's the the game director of arena jumped in and, and banned the player the the player who was doing it so they lost the game um that player lost the game and got like a, I think it was a two-hour ban in one case and a twenty or a two-day ban maybe and a twenty-four-hour ban in another case. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but this kind of, in some ways, people were interested in this because it was like a weird kind of argument for Nexus to be banned, and they're like, oh, I'm really glad this is happening. But then in another way, it kind of made people feel weird because they were like, well, if I'm a famous streamer and people can see me getting Nexus looped, then oh, I get a free win, or I get the game director to step in and and win the game for me. But if I'm just like a normal Joe Soap, then what, what recourse do I have? I, I, I don't think you can actually report players for griefing or, or anything like that. You can only report players for um, usernames. Yeah, and like the problem is if you could report people for this, then like salty players would just be reporting every Nexus of Fate player, whether this was happening or not to them. You know what I mean? True, yeah. I feel like people are that annoyed with it. Like, uh, it's, it's funny because this is kind of the first magic client where this is a problem. So like in paper, you can't do this because essentially what you're doing is, is demonstrating a loop. So a judge would step in and say, okay, you're looping. How many extra turns do you want to take? And you could say, I want to take a million. And then they say, okay, you've taken your million extra turns. Now you have to stop. You have to take a, take a different game action. So that basically, you you would be like, you, you're just not allowed to to do otherwise in paper. Yeah. And in Magic Online, you could do this all you wanted, but your your timer would run out and you would lose the game. So it's not a problem. Like the other person would probably go, "Well, you're a dick, but you're I'm still going to win. So who cares? I can just have six. Whereas in Magic Arena, you just you are just trapped in the game and there's nothing you can do about it. And essentially, you have won the game, so you don't want to quit. It feels really bad. 
and you're you're basically just trapped there for as long as the other person wants to keep looping. But to me, that's more of like an inherent problem with how Arena is designed than the specific card Nexus of Fate. Because like, so it's well, I mean, Nexus of Fate is a very narrow design, so it's unlikely that this would happen again very soon. I guess if they did ban Nexus, but I would like to see them fix the actual client rather than ban the specific card to stop this thing happening. Yeah, that's kind of like a, a case of treating the treating the symptom rather than treating the cause or whatever. Um, I think it would would be better to implement something in the client. Of course, it's still in beta. You know, they they have their plausible deniability there. Um, so I'm sure they'll do something eventually. A lot of people are suggesting like a chess clock in the same style as Magic Online, but or, or like some kind of combination chess clock. I I, I know that if you complete your turns quickly in arena you you do get like an extra 30 seconds or something later on but like obviously that's not relevant here but maybe there could be some like total i don't know total time taken thing where if you've done it a a lot of people have suggested some kind of a you know script to check have you affected the 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 board or whatever or or changed other the states of other things for a certain x number of loops but i think that there are legitimate ways to win otherwise that might fall under that and if you were legitimately if you had an actual win condition in your deck and you were looping with nexus of fate to get to it and you hit against that uh okay you auto lose you've taken too many actions without without affecting the board i think that'd be really bad for those people that would be potentially even a worse solution yeah i think that is avoidable because you can just have a check like oh are you still drawing more cards out of your deck or whatever because when they start nexus looping like this it's like usually they've they've gone to the very end of their deck but at that point you've already been stuck in the game for like quite a while anyway so it's definitely just not a good gameplay experience for people so maybe they should just ban it based on that Mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's definitely a a bit of a pickle and i'll I'll be interested to see how they kind of get out of it because i I really do feel like they need to make some kind of announcement or, or take some kind of action soon even if it's just, uh, okay, we're working on some kind of clock thing, like an announcement to say, you know, we're going to do this in the future. Um, but I do kind of feel like that that article, that mention in that article about the separate ban list really was kind of like laying the groundwork for, okay, guys, get ready. We're going to ban this card in like a couple of weeks. Yeah, I really wouldn't be surprised. Um, okay, so let's move on to talk a little bit about Standard. Have you been playing a lot of Standard? I've been playing a good bit. I've been, uh, I've been, I've been the person casting Nexus of Fates on Arena. Yeah, you much to my shame. I just quit though if I realize I can't win. I don't, I don't keep people locked in the game for okay. no reason. Never mind. You're, you're a good person. You're a good person. I mean, people just quit though before they even see if I can win the game or not. So that's nice. Normally, you don't even have to go off. You just cast your second Nexus of Fate, and they just concede. Yeah, that's true. I, I usually wait until I see the win condition because I'm like, I just want to see that they definitely do have it. Because I've seen people go on for a long, long time without showing me the win condition. And then I'm like, oh, okay, there it is. Yeah, it's like, it is annoying because it's that type of loop where you kind of have to make them have it. But for me, just in terms of like saving my own time, it's like there's a, there's like if, if they have like two wilderness reclamations and like four cards in hand, I'll usually concede. Or if they like get a search for Azkanta and a wilderness reclamation up or something like that, I'll usually just concede. Because at that point, they just get they just get to look at so many cards every turn that it's it just gets pretty unlikely pretty fast that you're going to get to take a turn again. Yeah, like at the point where it gets to like, let's say they have one or two wilderness reclamations on board and they have a bunch of lands and they have an Azkanta, usually like their deck will be like eh, 30-ish cards at that point, maybe 32, 34. And like when I look at that, I'm just like, yeah, the, the game's over because they can just activate Azkanta three times for a turn. So they get their draw, plus they get uh, like that's they get to dig to twelve more cards. So like, yeah, uh, and there are always four Nexus of Fate in the deck because every time you cast it, it, goes back in the deck. So you're just increasing the, the your possibility of finding it every single time. Um, so yeah, once once that happens, it's pretty much like deterministic or whatever. So it, it's always gonna they're always gonna find it. Yeah, exactly. And if they do pass the turn back to you after like looping a bunch of times like that, they're they've pretty much they've probably found their next fog or whatever after that point. You know, it's like they, they've they've you've probably seen it off as Kanta. So yeah, I would say just save yourself some time. And once you see them being able to see like you know a third of their deck every turn or whatever, just just quit and go on to the next game. It's faster. Um. So yeah, I. In Standard, at the moment, I've been playing a lot of Standard on on Arena as well, and I've been playing Esper Control, 
um, which I've experimented a few different lists. I've taken a few people's lists, done some tweaks and stuff. But the the list that I have liked the most is from uh, Oliver Tomiko, who was in the he was one of the World Magic Cup team on the US last year. He was the he was the national champion actually. I think yeah, um, yeah. So he has a pretty good list for best of three. I'll link it in the show notes, of course. But yeah, it's just classic Esper things. Bunch of Mortifies, Absorbs, Thought Erasures, Kai's Wraths. Um, I've been liking it a lot. It seemed to have a decent matchup against uh, Mono Blue. So Mono Blue is like all the rage now on, on Magic Arena. Um, Alexander Hain, who is a, a pro, uh, he got Mythic 1 uh, playing it. And then kind of it was just all over the ladder all the time. Um, so... In general, if you're able to win, game one is really hard uh, as Esper Control uh, against Mono Blue. But if you are able to kind of squeak it out, if you're able to land a key Kaya's Wrath or whatever when, when they don't have uh, Spell Pierce up, or if you're able to last until turn six so that you can do it around Spell Pierce or whatever, then I think you're pretty favored to win the matchup because the transformational sideboard of the deck is really good. Um, there's like Hostage Shakers, Thief of Sanity, stuff like that. So. Thief of Sanity is really hard for um, Mono Blue to beat. And yeah, I, I, I like the Mono Blue deck. I think it's cool. Uh, it's really, really frustrating to play against because it's the same kind of frustration I think that people feel when they play against like a control deck that just counters their thing every turn. Whereas in this case, it's just like, okay, on turn one, they play a one drop, like a Siren Storm Damer or a Terramander or whatever. Turn two, they play another island and then they play a Curious Obsession and they start hitting you and drawing cards. And then if you try to kill it, they probably have a Spell Pierce or a Dive Down or whatever, and they just keep doing that every single turn. They just play a Spell Pierce or a Dive Down or a Wizard's Retort or whatever it is every single turn. And then eventually maybe you manage to kill it with a Mortify or a Vraska's Contempt or something, and they just play a massive Tempest Gin. Uh, and then you have like one turn, maybe two turns to, to kill that, and then if you don't, then the game's over. Yeah, it really just feels like they they always have it. And every time you have to you have to put yourself in these bad situations where like you're spending more mana than they are every single turn to try and kill their threat. And like sometimes you don't want to do it because they have one mana available and you're like, okay, well I can't tap out this turn at sorcery speed because if they have spell pierce, it's so bad for me. But if you don't do it this turn, when are you gonna do it? You know, if you let them untap and hit you again, they've just drawn an extra card from Curious Obsession, it's even more likely that they fend the counter spell. So you basically just have to keep jamming every single turn and try to kill the threat, and it just it rarely goes well for you because of how many answers they have. Yeah, really your best hope is that they like get impatient and run out like a Tempest Gin and you're able to like try to kill something end of turn and they counter that and then they have no mana when you untap and, and wrath them. That's like your absolute best case scenario. But like good players will be able to play around that and just like not counter your spell or whatever it is. Yeah, it's kind of the same when you're playing Nexus. Like it's very difficult to find a spot where you can actually cast your wilderness reclamation or whatever. So it's like, you know, sometimes you like you know, you'll you'll just hope they tap out for the Tempest Gen so you can untap and play Wilderness Reclamation. But if you don't do that what are you you're pretty much committed to waiting till turn six to try and do it so you can sp- play around spell pierce but at that point they've probably just found their wizards retort anyway so it's really really hard to navigate the matchup definitely um what do, what do you think about the esper control deck uh i haven't come up against it all that much i think like playing nexus mainly um the control decks aren't that much of a threat to me just because they have so many dead cards game one esper is like better because it has mortify but even then, they usually just don't have enough mortifies, is, is what I've found. And like, if the game goes really long against a control deck, I find that I can still win, even, even without a Wilderness Reclamation in play or whatever, just because I get to just play so many land drops uh, naturally that you know I'll, I'll just get the mana I need, kind of uh, even without Wilderness Reclamation a lot of the time. Um, I think after sideboard, it's really, really tough, though, as you said, because the Thief of Sanity. Thief of Sanity is like excellent against the Nexus deck, because... Um, like for one thing you can just take nexuses out of their deck it's like one of the only ways to actually remove nexuses from uh, the opponent's deck uh or like like you'll you'll have brought in some some like enchantment removal sometimes against control decks which is also good against you or you'll have brought in you know like uh hydroid crisis or something like that as a sideboard card which is also really good against you when played so it's actually just considering that you're playing a combo deck it's actually just surprisingly effective uh the cards they can get out of you with thief of sanity and it just puts like a much faster clock on you than in game one so you, you kind of just have to uh rethink your whole game plan 
Yeah, to be honest, I, I've found like Nexus decks really, really hard, even even after sideboard. Of course, if if you get like an unanswered Thief of Sanity, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing pretty well. But like no matter what type of Nexus deck it is, if it's like a Bant Nexus or like there's like a blue green Nexus going around with like Frilled Mystic and Hydrocrasis or uh, Nexus Gates, any of those decks, I find them really, really hard, both pre and post board. Because post board, they often just like have extra creatures or whatever, like maybe they can block or like they can block with Hydrocrasis. If you don't have the fast Thief of Sanity, then I think you're just not going to get there because as you said, they can just, they can just wait you out. They're gonna if, if both players just keep making their land drops, Nexus of Fate is like so much better than everything in your deck. Like all they have to do is wait until you cast like a Teferi or whatever. And then they just cast a Nexus of Fate and then cast whatever they want in their own turn. Like they'll wait until they have two wilderness reclamations, cast them both in the same turn, and then like when you're in a spot where you only have one counter spell. And then they just have so much more mana. And like Growth Spiral also allows Nexus decks to get so far ahead of Esper decks on mana, like really, really fast. Yeah, definitely. I think like um the other problem is like if you actually counter nexus of fate it's like i know you're not down a card but from the nexus player's perspective it almost feels like you are you're up a card because like the nexus has just gone back into your deck and they're down one total counter spell like that they never have have access to again and the game as you said isn't ending anytime soon so that just almost feels like you know the esper player has just in the long term just discarded a card yeah, like I when I'm playing as Esper versus Nexus decks, I just never counter the Nexus of Fate. You have to wait to counter something else, like counter the Ascanta, counter the Wilderness Reclamation or whatever. Um, you just get put in these really, really tough spots. Or, or then there are other times where, like against the, the Gates deck, they just board in Gatebreaker Ram or whatever. And you're like, well, I boarded out all my Wraths, so I have three Mortifies, but my Mortifies need to kill the enchantments. So what am I doing here? <laughs> Yeah, I've been bringing in like Knight of Autumn against control decks, even if I don't think there's that great kind of enchantment targets, just because often if you just play like a 4-3 on turn 3, you'll just kill them before they can do anything. Yeah, like they, they need to react to that at some point. So, you know, you can make them top out and then that's your opportunity to play your Nexus, take a turn, play an Ascanta with Counterspell back up. If you have like, uh, often the, the, the Nexus decks bring in like a bunch of negates. So if you just play like, Ascanta negate when they only have like four mana up, you're you're probably forcing that through, and then you're just going to win the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, so uh, that's pretty bad. What can we do to kind of combat this? Well, my thought was, well, I do like Esper, except against the Nexus. So the Esper with trans- transformational sideboard, I think, is good against um, mono blue. I think it's decent against like almost everything else except for uh, Nexus, and I think it's uh, I don't understand how it's a bad matchup, but for me, I just basically never win a game against Sultai. I do not understand how I can never win a game against Sultai. I th- I, I, I'm doing something wrong. I don't know what it is, but they just put you in these awful, awful spots where you have to kill the same Jade Light Ranger and Merfolk Branchwalker like four times over the course of the game because they have Memorial to Folly. Most of these decks have like two Memorial to Follies. Then they have like three or four fine finalities. And then they just wait until you Wrath, and then they play a Vivian Reed or something, or they play a massive Hydrocrasis, and now their hand is full again, and you're just in these awful, awful spots. And you only have like three, maybe four Vraska's Contempt. So you want a Vraska's Contempt the Hydrocrasis so they can't get it back, but then they just get back another little crappy dude, and they're just like, you know, you, you have to take the damage as much as you can. So you're sitting there on like six or seven life, and they get back like a Jade Light Ranger and a Merfolk Branchwalker, and you're like, well, okay, that's not the best thing that you could get back, but you know they're going to kill me in like two turns, so I have to kill them again. Yeah, I think the crisis is definitely the problem, really, because because of the cast trigger, right? It's like any other threat that they had access to before that. These type of decks, it's like when you kind of had managed to stabilize in the late game, you were like they didn't have a threat that they that was you, you weren't going to be able to counter and kind of and kind of keep keep the game going in your favor. But you just can't do anything against this cast trigger. So like. I don't know how you're supposed to beat them, like drawing three extra cards or whatever in the middle of the game. Yeah, like previously, the the kind of go over the top or control killer card was like Carnage Tyrant, but that was answerable with a with a Wrath, um, and that was fine. And then they just have like no cards in hand. Maybe they have a Memorial to Folly, they can get it back. And then you have like an Eldest Reborn, or you find another Wrath, or you have a little bit of time. Uh, if you kill it like twice in a row, that's fine. But when they're putting like a 6-6 flyer on the board 
and then they also draw three cards and you're like oh what am i supposed to do now like what i'm just in such an awful spot so one of the things that i was thinking about which has completely disappeared from decks altogether but i think it might be a good call right now is settle the wreckage um so i think the exile is really important and i think people have kind of forgotten about settle the wreckage as well because everyone's using kaya's wrath so i think you're going to get people a lot if you have settle the wreckage in your deck yeah, definitely. I've noticed playing, obviously, like, Nexus decks haven't had Saddle in them for a while either, but I've, I've noticed people just, like, don't respect it, don't play around it at all. They just, like, are 100% sure that nobody has Saddle in their decks right now. Yeah, because nobody does. So it's a reasonable conclusion to make. So that's when you get people. Yeah, definitely agreed. Um, yeah, another way that I was thinking to kind of combat this metagame is uh, with basically, like, Shock decks. I think people are kind of onto this now because there was a bit of, like, a black red mid-range deck or like a black red aristocrats aggro-ish deck going around as well um i haven't seen that too much i've mainly seen like reddit posts about it and stuff and like played played against it once um but yeah i think shock and like lightning strike are good so i think mono red could be on the uptick again because mono red traditionally has a decent matchup against mono blue i think it's not as good now because of like terramander can get huge but like goblin chain world is going to be good against their one ones uh essence capture is also kind of scary i suppose um then you also have like a a bigger deck like i think gruel gruel aggro could be pretty good because you also have their you have the phoenixes rekindling phoenixes which block tempest gins really well and they also block um drakes really well so there's there's a good few drakes decks going around as well because drakes has a decent matchup against mono blue and is like pretty even against a lot of other stuff um because flyers are so good so i think yeah like a shock phoenix deck um you also have in gruel you have the collision colossus card which is pretty good there's so many flyers like it even kills a pretty big hydroid crassus because it does six damage to a flyer for only two mana so i think the gruel or esper with esper with uh settler wreckage my go-to uh suggestions for how to kind of combat this metagame at the moment yeah definitely i agree i think nexus is not the thing to be playing anyway it's like you just get destroyed by mono blue like over and over yeah, like as you said about getting your Nexus countered against a control deck, and you're like, hmm, that's actually good because I get to keep the Nexus in my deck and they don't have that counter spell anymore. But when you get your Nexus like spell pierced, that's a lot worse. Yeah, it's a whole different ballgame for sure. Yeah. Um, one take that I thought was really interesting was uh, Martin Yuza got to Mythic with, he, he tweeted this out, so I'll put this in the show notes. He got to Mythic with his own kind of homebrewed uh, Sultai list. And it's really cool looking. Um, so it's like Lanor Elves, and then he has a couple of Incubation Druid. And he has four Thought Erasure and four Thief of Sanity in the main. And then he has two Hostage Takers. He has small and big Vraska. Uh, he has Eldest Reborn in the main. And obviously four Hydra Crassus. And he basically just cut the whole Explorer package, except for like two Jadelar Rangers for curve purposes. Uh, because basically like Wild Growth Walker and... Jadelight Ranger, stuff like that. They're kind of like kind of poopy in the mirror. Um, they're not really that effective. They, they were mainly there to combat Mono Red, which Mono Red has a massive downturn at the moment. So that's why you can kind of safely cut them, which in turn is why I think that Mono Red might be something that could kind of make a comeback in a big way. Yeah, I could definitely say for sure. So yeah, I I've, I don't think I've been like this into Standard in a long time. Um, I am trying to kind of ladder in vain hopes of being in that top eight, but... I don't know. I started a week behind because I was on my holidays. Um, so I'm just at Diamond now. So hopefully Mythic by tomorrow or something. Um, and then we'll see how, how high I can climb. I got like 300, 300 something last season, 320 something. Um, also, they are putting the leaderboards for the top 100 of the Mythic leaderboard uh, or the Mythic rankings. Uh, each week they're going to be posting that. So they posted it just this week, um, and that was the snapshot with Hain at the top, Alexander Hain at the top. Um, yeah, so that that's useful to kind of check where your official rankings are because they can slightly change from in from the way they're shown in-game. Uh, as other people win or lose games, you might go up or down a few ranks. Yeah, I think people are going to be uh, very anxious about their, their ranking towards the end of the season this time. The people who are up there at the top of Mythic, it's going to be pretty scary, like you know, winning a game and then seeing you've still dropped a rank and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's going to be such a scramble in, like, the last, like, two days or whatever. People are going to be playing, like, crazy. Um, 
yeah, I think this is going to be very unhealthy for a lot of people. Uh, that's what it takes to be a mythic champion, you know. I suppose so. Um, all right, let's move on to our Enter the Arena segment for this week. So on this week's Enter the Arena, I wanted to talk a little bit about how to get real-life Magic cards. So a lot of people who are coming from Magic Arena, they want to go, they want to make their first foray into paper. And usually you're like, most people tell you, okay, pre-release is where you should go. So anecdotally, because I wasn't there, I've heard that there were a lot of like new players who just came into the game from Arena who went to the previous pre-release, the, the Ravnica Allegiance pre-release, and they were like, hey, this is my first time playing paper. And that's great because you get your six packs and you don't have to like get the cards in advance. You don't have to make your actual deck or whatever. But okay, let's say now you've done that and you want to go back and play standard on uh, FNM or whatever. Uh, so how do you actually get hold of the cards? Um, well, there's a few different ways, and it also depends on where you are. The first way that we would recommend, I suppose, is your LGS, okay? So your local game store, it's always good to give them business if you can. That's the place where you play. That's the place where you meet your friends. That's the place where you hang out. Um, it's good to keep them in business. Their profit is your profit. If, if they close down, you're not going to have a place to play Paper Magic, so you might as well just sell all your cards anyway. So it's always good to support your LGS if you can. Yeah, agreed. We we just recently had a had another store close in Ireland, and it's always really sad to see. There's been a good few that have come and go uh, over the years. So yeah, even if you're going to pay a little bit more than you would buying online or whatever, like uh, as you say, well, if you're going to get, you're putting like you're almost investing money into like being able to like play this hobby, you know, like just by supporting your shop. Yeah, it's like a it's a it's a community building thing. You will pay that little bit extra more, um, but. At the end of the day, it's probably going to be worth it. And you don't have to buy all your cards from your LGS. Just maybe pick up a few little things here and there or buy the box products, you know, maybe for the type of person who buys a box every time a new set comes out, do that through your LGS. Um, then the other ways that we have to get a hold of physical magic cards, uh, they kind of depend on your location. So in Europe, the go-to place to get them on the internet is cardmarket.com. So cardmarket.com does singles uh, and I suppose seal product from a bunch of different card games, but also magic. Uh, so all you need to do is go on there and choose magic and you need to make an account and you need to, you, you can do it in a couple of different ways. You can do like bank transfers or you can uh, link it to a credit card, but you ha you can do, it depends what you want to do. If you want to limit your spending, then you know you may might want to wait or attach it to bank transfers, whatever. All that's all up to you. Depends how you regulate your own spending. But the marketplace is really easy to navigate. It's full of like individual sellers from lots of different countries all over the EU, and they will advertise their cards. They'll advertise the condition, the language, all sorts of things like that. Uh, if it's foil, if it's signed, if it's altered. All those things are on there, and you can search for those cards, uh, choose them, add them to your cart, and then buy them in the same way as you would on Amazon or eBay or whatever. Um, I haven't mentioned eBay, eBay in this really because I personally have never bought any cards from eBay, although I know that people do sometimes do it. Um, in the US, you can do basically the same thing on tcgplayer.com. So it's almost exactly the same. It's individual sellers uh, who will ship things to you. Uh, there's also Star City Games or Channel Fireball. So those are the bigger stores. They're like the big, big guys. CFB are in charge of GPs and SEG have their own circuit. So they, these are the, the really big kind of secondary sellers in Magic. Uh, they have huge stock is the thing, but they're always uh, a little bit more expensive uh, because they, you know, they, they kind of have a serious customer care uh, department and stuff like that. Like if you're not happy, you can always go back to them and say blah blah blah. They also have things like buy lists where you can trade in your old cards to get uh, credit for future purchases. So there's swings and roundabouts when it comes to going to TCG Player or SCG or CFP. If you want to pay a little bit less, TCG Player is probably where you want to go. If you want to pay more but have a better customer experience, SCG or CFP. Yeah, I've never really bought from uh, from the big websites SCG or CFP. View. I think I think I've I've put in on a friend's order from CFB like once maybe and that was it. I've always just used card market. Yeah, it it doesn't really work out, I think, when you're buying from Europe because like they're they're that bit more expensive anyway, uh on individual card prices, and then you're paying for shipping from the US. So it just usually ends up a bit more expensive. Unless you're looking for something really specific, I think uh you're probably better off 
going with Card Marcus in Europe. Yep, definitely agree. Uh, I guess it's kind of it's Sorry, this maybe I was going to say yeah maybe this still sounds a little bit daunting to people because at this point it's like you know you've just played played some sealed or whatever it's like I guess now on arena you've played a standard deck and you kind of maybe have more of an idea of what you want to do but it's still like you're talking about a big purchase here for right buying their first deck like jumping in buying a whole sixty cards or seventy five cards like that's that could be a lot of money for people so do we have any advice on kind of uh you know what like what to think about before you like you jump in and decide to like spend all this money on on a deck like how do you know that it's the deck you're going to want to play for the foreseeable future yeah definitely um that that is important it's it's you, you see this a lot with modern which i guess is not really applicable to arena but people who play arena and then come to paper magic might have heard of modern it's the older format um one of the older formats very popular um a lot of people say that they want to get into modern, but then they're afraid to buy a deck because, well, what if I don't like that deck? It's really expensive. Um, I've just wasted my money. So one of the best ways to do it, if you're just going for standard, is probably to play it on Arena. Get a few wild cards, put it together. Uh, even if you can put together like a slightly powered down version of the deck with some substitutions, uh, just to get a feel for how the deck plays, that'd be good. Uh, if you kind of make some friends in the LGS, then you you don't even have to make friends, to be honest, because most of the time... Uh, local game stores are full of people who are like happy to help and happy to lend decks so what you could do is you could ask for a lend of whatever deck you're interested in playing or even a lend of a few cards if if you have a few cards already to put towards it you can ask for a lend of the other cards um, and usually people are very very happy to do this you should check facebook for your lgs's um, uh, store page or if there's a, a page for magic players in your area you should check for that as well and usually people are very happy to lend decks so that you can play it once or twice at an event and get an idea for how it feels before you jump into making a big purchase. Yeah, that's what I would suggest as well, definitely. Um, if you are making that big purchase, there are some ways to kind of keep your costs down and what have you. Because when you when you want to go on, like let's say card market, and you want to look for some cards and you're like, okay, I want to buy like these eight different commons and you're like okay great this common costs two cents so i'm going to add four of them to my cart now that's eight cents well it's not actually eight cents because you also have to pay the shipping on it which is like minimum like 150 or two euro three euro in the eu okay that's going to be the minimum for shipping um so really you're paying like three euro for four cards so that shipping cost only goes up in fairly kind of big increments. So like once you get above like 10 euro, you're going to pay a little bit more for shipping. Once you get above 20 euro, you're going to pay a little bit more for shipping. And I think it's once you get above 25 euro in card market that you have to get insured shipping, uh, which costs a little bit more. I think it's like 10 euro or something like that. And But th that way you, your, your shipping is tracked and insured. So you know, if it, you know where it is at all times. You can check the tracking number. And if it gets lost, you can have peace of mind that you'll get the money back or whatever um so for that reason i would say it's better to buy in bulk you should try to buy as many cards as possible at one time if you don't want to buy like a whole deck at one time you don't want to spend hundreds of euro one idea that you could do is get in together with a bunch of friends so ask your mates if they're if they're interested in buying any cards sit down all together make a list put them all in the cart split the shipping between you and that'll be the cheapest way um also you should be careful to kind of check the condition of the card and the edition of the card like so like what set it's from on the uh on the website so it'll tell you usually the the card grading system is fairly set in like all card games or whatever so it's kind of up to you the balance of like what's the condition of the card versus the cost so obviously if you get like always like cards that are mint or near mint they're going to be the most expensive cards um it goes from like near mint all the way down to heavily played i think is the is the lowest um is the lowest uh, option for like card condition so like a card that's heavily played you you can't play it really in a tournament because it will just be obvious that it's in your deck you'll be able to see it and that's not that wouldn't be allowed in a tournament because uh, you'd be able to tell where your card is in your deck so obviously having cards in better condition is usually better um so it, it's really up to you i th i think for most people the condition excellent or near mint is where they want to where they want to buy their cards it's really hard to have a card that's in actual mint condition that's like quite rare uh so excellent or near mint is usually where you want to go and there there'll be a slight difference in price between those um if you are buying something really special like a really expensive card or a foil card or 
like uh, we've seen like the the special masterpieces for the like the mythic edition for Ravnica if you're interested in getting those it might be an idea to uh, film yourself opening it when it arrives because there are some situations where like it maybe it was damaged in the post or something like that you don't want to be you don't want to be messaging the seller saying hey my card is damaged and they're like well I sent it to you and it was fine so that's not my fault so maybe filming yourself opening your really expensive items uh, might be a good idea and that's pretty yeah, much that's all the advice that I have yeah I would say as well if people are worried about this they're like uh, like the other problem that you can have when you receive cards is that there are counterfeit cards on the market that do exist but generally for standard I don't think you're going to run into this as an issue like they're the most most of the fake cards that exist um, are, are like older cards uh, they, they tend to be much more expensive and they're so they're kind of more profitable for people to to make counterfeits of so it's it's just not really a worry with standard cards i've seen people ask this and stuff online you know like they post up cards and ask if they're real and stuff they're a bit worried about it generally with standard rares and stuff like that they have the hollow foils it's it's pretty easy to tell a fake from a from a real one but again like film yourself opening the package or whatever if, if that's something you're concerned about and then you'll be able to you'll have proof or whatever if if you do think it's a fake yeah. But it's, to be clear, it's not a problem I've ever come across. I've never received a counterfeit card or anything. No, no. And even even what I was saying before about like receiving damage cards or whatever, I think I think it happened to me once, and I've made probably hundreds of orders from from card markets. So it really is not something that comes up a lot. But just just have it there in your mind. Be aware of it so that you know you don't get caught out if if you do get like a big expensive order. Um, and yeah, the, the counterfeit card thing as well. Again, something that I haven't come ac- come across personally, but I have heard stories. So you, you just have to be aware. It's one of those things. Yeah, that's something that like if you're buying a masterpiece or like as you said, an old old expensive card or something for your commander deck, maybe that's when you gotta you gotta maybe uh, be a bit more vigilant of of counterfeiting and stuff like that. But if you're just talking about buying a standard deck, it's not going to be an issue. Most of the stores that you buy from on card market are going to be like like a lot of the accounts are lgs's and and they they make a ton of sales and they're they're very reputable you can see seller reputation and stuff like that so pretty reliable yeah definitely sorting by seller reputation will will help you and usually you can go back through the seller sales as well you can see if if anybody had a problem and like what the problem exactly was like maybe the maybe the delivery was just slow maybe that was the problem it actually had nothing to do with the lgs at all it had nothing to do with the condition of the cards it was just like slow ship um one more little piece of advice that i might give is also, just ask around, um, especially when new players get into Magic. I think uh, enfranchised players are usually very happy to see a new person playing uh, because it's one more person to play against. So, uh, like, I know I would be very happy giving giving cards to new players because usually the types of cards that new players want, you know, they get interested in, like, team-style decks or, like, uh, decks built around a particular rare or whatever, and they may not always be, like, the most competitive or whatever. So a lot of times people are happy to just give away their commons or uncommons or maybe even the cheaper rares. They're just like, yeah, you have that. That's fine. Make your deck out of it and come or go and build it and come back and play me next week. Um, so it, there is no no shame and no uh, no downside to just asking people if they have any extra cards lying around. The worst that they're going to say to you is like, oh yeah, I'll sell it to you or I'll trade it to you. And then they might just sell it to you for like a, a cheap price or they'll trade it for something that you got out of your pre-release or whatever. But just do be careful. Be aware of cards' prices. Don't don't trade away cards that are like ridiculously overvalued for like a cheap rare. Yeah, we've all heard the stories of people, you know, passing Masterpiece their first week. You know, you'll be grand for the most part. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it too much. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's our Enter the Arena for this week. And I think that's going to wrap up the show because uh, you have to jet off to LA. I do. I have a, I have a couple hours, but yeah, I got some stuff I need to sort out. And uh, yeah, so we I believe we have a, a recording of Al doing some uh, some extra turns nonsense. We do. Yeah, we will have extra turns this week, even though there is no Al. I'll uh, I'll I'll play that after uh, Al sent us a message from from the past uh, to be played on the podcast. So the, I'll play that after the outro music. So. Um, thanks for listening and you can tweet us at Skullcrack you can email us skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com oh actually before we go I think we actually do have an email Um, let me just double check here so from Namata uh, Namata says cool to see you guys are back Um, don't know if you've heard this before so this is in reference to our Monopoly talk last week the Monopoly secret alternate win con 
basically, if you can collect a property of each color, nobody will be able to win. Hmm. Is that like Nexus looping someone? I guess. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the Monopoly equivalent of Nexus looping. Uh, being trapped in a game of Monopoly sounds even worse than being Nexus <laughs> looped, to be honest. Yeah, because even like in that case, it's 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 not just a two-player game. So you have like four or five people trapped in the game. Oh my god. Uh, we were also talking about, we also made some jokes about uh, fast effects last week, like how how fast um, how fast effects can be in Magic. So we use the word speed in Magic, and Namada says, speed is a metaphor used in the game which proceeds sequentially to place restrictions on what actions can be taken at certain points. He, he has a suggestion for a fastest effect of them all. Simulacrum, unerratted, goes back in time. This was in, in reference yeah. to her discussion last week about um what, what what exactly were we saying i don't remember i don't know we talk a lot of nonsense on this podcast we do sometimes i have uh i do have the original text for simulacrum here simulacrum is a uh, one out of black to instant all damage to you all damage done to you so far this turn is instead retroactively applied to one of your creatures in play even if there's more than enough damage to kill the creature you don't suffer any of it further damage this turn is treated normally oh wow so yeah, you basically, you essentially do go back in time with the original wording of that card. Can so you have a guess at uh, the, the oracle text that they changed it to? Yeah, tell me the oracle text. It's like... uh, you gain life equal to the damage dealt to you this turn. Simulacrum deals damage to target creature you control equal to the damage dealt to you this turn. Oh, okay. That 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 basically works exactly how the card should work. That's a yeah, oracle text. Yeah, the original wording kind of sounds like you could lose the game from damage and still cast it somehow. So I guess it's good to clear that up. Yeah, it sounds like you're like you're on five life. You take like six damage, and then you just cast that, and you're like, yeah, no, the six damage goes on my goes on my dude. Yeah, it's a pretty cool card. I've never seen that card before. It's a very cool card. Um, it's from Alpha. Oh, of course. So the, there we go. There's the the fastest effect in Magic goes back in time. Thank you for the email, Nomata, uh, constant listener. All right. That's going to do it from us this week. Again, you can hit us up on uh, at Skullcrack. You can email us, skullcrackpodcast.gmail.com. Again, if you have any ideas for Enter the Arena, anything you want to hear about, uh, or if you just have any questions, comments, concerns for us, just uh, send us an email or shoot us a Twitter message. And that's going to do it for us this week. Bye-bye. See you guys. Uh, 10.30 on the 7th of February um, this is a Thursday night uh, I have my RPG queue on Sunday and I have finally locked in a deck to play I uh, got a 75, got a cyborg um, and I'm happy with I have some lovely new sleeves uh, and we're ready to rock so I guess I'd say I'll talk a little bit about um, how I came to this conclusion so I guess the format's uh, two sold now um, we yeah, so I guess starting off, everyone thought Mono Red is going to be the best deck. Mono Red, I guess, was certainly a starting point. Um, something that I was uh, testing with first. Um, during the first week, it became very, it became very um evident that that uh, Hydroid Crisis was you know, the busted card. Um, so I spent the first week trying to figure out what to figure out what the best uh, Hydroid Crisis deck was. Uh, one of the first first ones I landed up on was a Teamer with um with a Hedana's Climb and uh, Incubation Druid. So you know, turn one Incubation Druid, turn two Hedana's Climb. You know, third four, you're making a lot of mana. Um, so at the SEG Open in Indiana, Indianapolis, SEG, let's just call it SEG Indy. At a SEG Indy, um, uh, Soldai quickly emerged as being the best uh, Hydroid Crisis deck and perhaps the best deck in the format. Um, there were some Mono Red decks, there were some um, Nexus decks, and neither of which actually made it, made it to the top eight. Um, so kind of coming out of that weekend, people thought, yep, Soldai's best deck. Um, Mono Red's not good. Uh, Next is not good. It's just all about it's all about white unis, blue up, um, whether whether it's uh, blue white or Esper um, or Patrol or mainly uh, Sultite Crisis. So I guess looking at this, um, with my looking at those results, my first thought was it'll be naive to discard Mon Red, it'll be naive to discard uh, Nexus as not being good decks. Um, but I guess where I wanted to be in the format was 
uh, a deck that relied on spell pierce. So I felt like spell pierce was very well uh, positioned in a format dominated by um, those decks I just mentioned. Uh, so I guess that left you with you know, one or two choices, uh, either uh, Blue Red Drakes or uh, Mono Blue. So I was doing a little bit of testing both of them. Uh, I really, really liked, really, really liked um, Blue Red Drakes uh, because it really capitalizes on spell pierce. Uh, it's a good matchup against Mono Red. Uh, you can just turn the game around really quickly. Your clock, um, you, know, you got a defensive play in turn three with Nick Drake that, that becomes you know, a clock faster than anything they can do. Uh, because burn decks now tend to you know, tend towards the uh, you know, philosophy of fire, kind of full on all in burn style. Uh, usually just you know, usually just catching one bird spell with a, a spell pierce is enough to turn the game around. Uh, so I really really like Drake's. So around the same time uh, Andre Mangucci posted uh, an article in Channel Fireball basically saying that yeah Drake's Drake's is the best second standard. Uh, he kind of described um you know 75 that he's happy with he described um the changes he think the deck would make you know going forward. So I guess I was pretty happy that the conclusion I came to was the same conclusion uh, a player Andre Mangucci came to came, came to as well. So I was confident in, in you know, my rationale there. Uh, so I played a lot of Drake's during that week. Um I think yeah so lots of, yeah so I, I tried all of, a whole lot of different variants of Drake's. I tried the Phoenix versions, I tried New Visit Main, New Visit the Cyborg, tried all of the different cyborg plans. I felt like it took me a while to really figure out the best way to cyborg. Um you know I guess because the deck is so focused um any changes to cyborg you make really dilute your, your main game plan. Uh, so I felt like I lost a lot of games just by over cyborging, you know, by bringing in Raul's Arrogans a mid-range deck because, oh, Planeswalkers are good against mid-range decks. Or uh, bringing Raul's Arrogans in, in the mirror because, um, oh, fires off, Raul's Arrogans, empty board, they can't kill it. Um, so I think so I was doing a lot of testing with Drake's uh, on, I think it was on Sunday 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 evening. Uh, I met up with Kieran for some lovely, delicious uh, craft beers and mulligans. Uh, Shoutouts to mulligans. Uh, also, shout outs to uh, Rory Van Ast, the uh, proprietor of Mulligans. Um, so basically, they're you know, discussing decks and choices. Uh, Kieran convinced me to try Sultai, because I guess I was in the position of, um, well, I played Drake's last season, I know Drake's very well. I can play it in my sleep, I can I can always find the best line. I know I kind of know how to sideboard. I know how to play each matchup. I know how each matchup should play out in my favour. So I was looking to try and do deck at this point, even though, you know, last Sunday I had a full week before the WTQ. Uh, but I guess, you know, this goes into Kieran, I guess, uh, and Kieran could probably agree this, that um, if Sultai is far and away the best deck, you know, I still want to be playing that, and it will take me, I probably underestimate how quickly it will take me to figure out how to play Sultai as well I can play, as well as I can play Drake's. And then sure enough, at the end of the second weekend of the format, uh, you know, Drake's is emerging as being one of the best decks, so now we got people who are attacking Drake's, and we got people who are attacking uh, so it's like going into the, the, the going into the, the following week. So uh, basically all of this all of this week I tested with a lot of I, I tested with a few different decks. I tested with Mono Blue, I tested with Drakes, I tested with uh Sultai. Um Sultai felt very, very easy to play and felt very, very um you know, very flexible. There's like lots of things you can do. Uh, but then I think all things being equal, I felt myself drifting back towards Drakes. Because I think you know in this time I think I, I pinned down um a, a cyber plan I did like. And I realized that in some matchups you really just you almost don't sideboard at all. Um, I you know I find myself just running out the same sixty against Mono Red. Um, you know I find myself, you know, bringing in very very little against uh, against um uh, Sultai Green Black because I guess you know, you know you, you know by doing things like, you know I think, I feel like thinking you know, <laughs> I'll start again. I feel like uh the rationale you usually usually use in that kind of matchup is yeah mid range check. I'm gonna go a little bit bigger. I'm gonna bring in Treasure Map. I'm gonna bring in Star Distinction. I'm gonna bring in uh, the visit. I'm gonna bring in. Uh, I'm gonna bring in uh, Raz Eric, and then like because the deck is so, uh, the deck is so focused. You're taking out your cantrips. You might be trimming down your threats, and even though yeah, you can go bigger, and even though yeah, the visit you know still wins the game. Even though, uh, <laughs> when you get to start extinction mana, you know you bite the board, but you're still, uh, the deck just isn't functioning, and you're still losing for no reason. Essentially, you still you're still. I find myself losing to itself more often when I was doing that. Um, so I decided just here. I decided I'll just take a, a minimalist approach to approach to sideboarding, just tweak some tweak some of my threats, tweak some tweak, tweak some of my uh, answers, um, and only kind of you know bring in the transformational bring in the trans transformational stuff when I'm playing against uh, control. Uh, so at the it, so after you know lots of blood, sweat, and tears, I came to this lovely plan, this lovely lovely decision. I was very happy with myself, uh, and then um, Andrea Mangucci again released a video uh, on Channel Fireball. 
uh, with a detailed deck guide uh, and he reached he'd reached all the same conclusions i had he had a detailed uh deck list plan which or decent a detailed cyber plan which was very similar to what i'd come up with um, and you know a lot of rationality he had was very similar to what i had what i had so you know <laughs> his uh, his content let me just you know to finally focus uh, what i was doing a little bit more uh, so now i'm in a position that i'm very very happy with this deck um so i suppose in terms of the rptq i'm pretty happy going in with it i'm super confident with it i think out of all the so this is my fourth rptq i feel like this is the only time i really had to actually uh think about the deck i was playing um i guess when i was playing in the team uh team trios with uh, uh kieran uh we uh with kieran and lean rather we um you know it was the group of the society about text play and you know the decisions you know my sideboard choices were based on this was our, our sideboard choices were based on what each other were playing and it was really more so thinking of a, a configuration for three players rather than a single deck um and then i would play the rptq in a part of that it was just you know black red's best deck you know play the best black red deck um uh, then yeah glasgow is modern so this is the first time we're coming i'm coming to a format where i i started off having no idea what to play and uh, i feel like i know the format very well now um and yeah, I'm happy with my choice. So, there's one thing I will say. I feel like it hasn't happened yet, but uh, Kieran can probably attest to this. I think once the Nexus deck is figured out, it's just going to dominate the, the format. Uh, I don't think it's happened yet. I feel like maybe the Pro Tour, or maybe slightly before the Pro Tour, uh, you know, we will start to see um, an almost unbeatable uh, Willingness Reclamation uh, Nexus of Fate deck. Uh, so I'm kind of banking on that not happening this weekend, uh, which I guess is the risk going to take. I, I do I, I do have the gates and sideboard. I've spelled here as the main, which um, you know, combat that some, somewhat. Yeah, I think it can be a tricky matchup, but I think I can play it well. Uh, so we we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I'm hoping to see lots of soul die, hoping to see lots of mono red, and I'm hoping to crush it. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess uh, so uh, <laughs> I guess you know, channel fireball <laughs> really helped me, <laughs> um, uh, you know, refine my decision. Uh, I guess. You know, I could have just not been in, put in, I could have just, you know, I could have put in a lot less work over the last two weeks and still ended up with the same 75 thanks to the excellent content Channel Fireball creates. Uh, so please, please uh, sponsor us, uh, Channel Fireball. Uh, also, um, Andrea Maguchi, uh, feel free to join the podcast when I'm away because um, uh, we obviously have uh, the same great mind. Uh, yeah, so at the moment I'm just packing and I'm just going to bring in a sense of uh, maybe board. I'll bring my deck, I'll bring my uh, extensive maybe maybe board of lots of just you know powerful red and blue cards I own. Um so I'm just uh yeah just packing now um so that's it. So I'll leave yous uh hopefully by the time by the time you're hearing this well yeah by the time you listeners are hearing this um I will I will be the RPTQ champion uh, but until then uh, goodbye now where did I leave my passport hmm